My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our guest today is Richard Wentworth-Ping. Richard has been working as an executive coach for over 20 years and as a facilitator and consultant since starting Wentworth People in the UK in 1989. Wentworth People is a behaviour change business that has at its heart the proposition of enjoying your working life. Leading and managing is challenging. Yet, with the right support, skills and tools, this can be one of the most rewarding challenges of our lives. We spend too much time not to enjoy it, says Richard. Richard has studied at Sheffield Hallam University, Harvard Kennedy School of Leadership and MGSM in Sydney. He is an accredited ICF executive coach and DISC facilitator and has an honours degree in business studies. Richard Wentworth Ping, welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me, uh, William. Thank you for mangling the name of my home city, Sheffield, as well. I'm so sorry about that. And this is not the first time I'm sure I will mangle things throughout this <laughs> podcast. So we decided to get together and record a podcast um, because we seem to have lots of insights, especially you. You started your company um, how many years ago now? When you were 12, William, when, when you were I was 12. 12. Yeah, you're, I, I yeah. see you're getting in there before, before you know, before I get well, in there. This is brilliant. Absolutely, yeah. Get so, your retaliation in early, that's what I say. So apparently you have 34 years of experience that you are going to um, part a lot of those uh, insights then in terms of organization development to our audience here. I've got no hair as well. That actually is the telling factor of 34 years experience and that just goes to show that there's lots in your head there that's just bursting to get out um so again in terms of those insights then like we were talking before the podcast in terms of your experience here when you first uh started so you were saying when you you're now based in uh australia right and you were talking about you know one of your first uh clients there and how you got into um training and development and facilitation and coaching and consulting so again in terms of that you know where do you think we should start with this podcast um at the beginning obviously uh let's just go back to something you mentioned in your very kind little intro is that uh if i go back 11 years I've, i've been running the company since 1989 and I was talking to this guy who was a sort of brand consultant 
and uh, <clears throat> he, he very bright man, and he helped Puma, the um, footwear company and clothing company, rebrand in the 2000s because they were getting hammered by Nike and Reebok and uh, uh, Adidas, and they were kind of losing shit. Anyway, so he brought, so he, good credentials, this guy. And anyway, he's using a process to work with me. And, uh, you know, what's the backstory of your business? What's the backstory of you? What do you do? Blah, 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 blah. So it goes on for about an hour and a half. And then he's trying to distill the brand. So he goes, Richard, you know, I got what you've told me. But what is it you do? And out came an unscripted thing. I said, ah, Michael, I think I'm just trying to help people enjoy their working life. And he went, and there you have it. That's your brand. So you can call yourself whatever you like. My mm. company name is actually pretty boring. It's My name is Went With Ping, so it's like, oh, Went With People, that'll do, you know, which evolved, by the way, from Went With Training. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But he then went, well, there's your brand. Enjoy your working life. Now, you, you know, your question was, where do we start? We start at the premise. It's the workplace podcast. Yeah. And I think we have to start at the premise. It's like well, we go to work to earn a crust, sure. But you and I both know it's much more than that. And we spend, you don't have to be a workaholic, you know, even if you're just spending 40 hours a week working, which is kind of your average nine to five. And, and anyway, who's doing that now anyway, because it's all you know, hybrid working and all this. Um, but most people actually work a bit more than that. And, you know, your point, it's like, we spend too much time at work to be struggling. And I'm sure, how many people do you work with or have you worked with? Even in quite senior positions, Gar, not enjoying this. Yeah. I mean, they actually use that for, oh, no, I'm not enjoying it. Uh, churn, I mean, I've got, I've got clients I'm working with at the moment. I do a lot of work in advertising agencies and media agencies, and they regularly, I mean, not just post-COVID, I mean, we're not post-COVID, I know, uh, run at churn of 35%, sometimes more. Yeah, that's that. I mean, I hate to think, you know, the cost of that in all, and there will be a variety of factors, but, People don't job hop ridiculously if they're enjoying what they do. Yeah. You know, and, and there's a you could break that down a number of ways, you know, uh, in terms of what, what makes for enjoyable work while working with good people. Yeah. <clears throat> well, there's plenty of people going, oh, no, I love you guys. I love you guys. I'll be really sorry to go. <laughs> But you're leaving, so you clearly didn't, you know, that wasn't it. You know, you really want that combination of, I'm working with really good people, 
sometimes quite challenging, and I'm putting out my best work. And I'm probably learning a lot, almost yeah. daily, you know. Um, so you, we could keep adding to the Venn diagram, but, I mean, if you put those three alone, really good people, <clears throat> ability to do really good work, whatever that is, meaning purposeful work, and, uh, you know, growth, learning, development, See what I've done. I've segued into learning and development here, but, but oh, it's I like that. I was clever, I but I, I'm not sure. I was wondering where. When are we going to get there? <laughs> where are we going to go? Yeah. But but it's like those those three, you know. And yeah. so it's interesting. No nobody gives me a brief and go, Richard. I really like your brand. Enjoy your working life. Could you come in and run a whole program to help us enjoy your working life? They they, mm. they never do. They will go, uh, look, we're introducing new values to the company or we want a leadership development program or we want a management program or something like that. Yeah. And yet the underpinning idea is we, we've got people who really don't like, we've put them in management positions and they don't like managing. Why don't they like managing? Or we've got them in sales roles that they don't like the sales role. Well, I've been in sales roles. And I can tell you something, if you're not hitting your targets, your boss is on your case, and the clients don't want to talk to you, that is not an enjoyable job. But if you give people the skills, you know, to get through a gatekeeper, if we, if we look at sales, get through a gatekeeper. Yeah. Um, and get to talk to decision makers and have really decent conversations and be able to put in proposals that people go, yeah, that actually hits the mark and you, great job, you know. And, and you switch management around from, oh, just, you know, people disappoint me all the time, they let me down, I've got all their emotional stuff to deal with, mm, I hate management, to flip that to go, I love it because I get to see it's a little bit like being a your parent of a seven and a five-year-old. You get to see people do things that they yeah. weren't confident doing because of how you've nurtured them. That's like gold. Yeah. That's the really rewarding part of this oh, work, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. And and people get stuck in the weeds. Uh, you know, in in work, <clears throat> and they can't see a way out of it. And it's 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 interesting the paradox of learning and development is uh, I'm time. I'm time to work for what you know. And and by the way, back in the day, not unusual that that my first client was IBM. Both when I set up the business in the UK. But when I was originally over in Australia, IBM was my first client. Well, they, you know, my, their first order to me, a guy called Steve Wright down in Hailing Island uh, for the Haven plant, and they booked six three-day workshops. There you go. 
not unusual to run three four-day workshops. I, I haven't run a three or four-day workshop like ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but the, and I, I, I don't know whether it – did people have more time then? Don't know. But now it's like, oh, I haven't got time to do that. Can you, can you run a one-hour masterclass? Yeah. Uh, that would be no. Yeah. I have a – yeah, for me – you know, when you're talking about, you know, the four days, because we were talking about our residential experience in, in Harvard where we met, right? Yeah. And we were like, I remember it was so immersive there as yeah. an experience. But it was it was life-changing as well. We both had said that. Absolutely. Such Absolutely. great learnings out of it. And then for me is, is this trend that I see of, can you do an hour, you know, and, and expecting people to change their behaviors after one hour. Well, you know, it's me. ludicrous, isn't it? It's it's like, uh, and you know, we talked, you know, in the lead up to this, you know, where do we go? Do are we do we want to be contentious around HR, learning and development, but not let let's not put it all on them, but uh, you know, boards of directors and senior executive teams. Mm. Uh, that penny pinch, you know, and uh, I find, you know, I have to be really careful not to be grumpy about it. Yeah. But to go, and there's, there's not big multinationals. Clearly, you know, you, you go to Unilever, they've got a big line item in the P&L. Um, and they're quite used to it. You know, there's, there's two types of organisations. This is overly simplistic yeah. that you and I would go to, and you've got one which, let's say, it's a Unilever or, you know, big bank or some pharmaceutical, and you're not trying to convince them of the benefit of learning and development. They, they kind of go, yeah, we get that, William. What they're doing is, are you the best person to work with us mm. for this particular program? So you're in a beauty parade, maybe, whatever. Uh, but then you've got others, startups, small family-owned businesses, not-for-profits. You know, you could list a whole O where they don't have a line item in the profit and loss account for learning and development. So you're actually trying to convince them of yeah. the benefits of developing their people, which is a completely different conversation. And it's, it's almost like, do I want to do this? You know, and, and then, sorry, I'm, if I'm, steer me back on track because there's yeah. a lot to talk about because yeah. I, I can remember running a workshop for a division of a big multinational business that didn't do a lot of what was called training then. I, I think training is almost a pejorative. You know, yeah. it's why I, I'd prefer to call talk about learning and development, but people still talk training. And particularly up in Asia, people go, oh, I'm going on training, and it's something that's done to you. And yeah. you, you know. I take a lot of notes, but I don't, you know, it's like, mm, it doesn't work like that. But I can remember 
running a management program for new managers. And a lot of people turned up and I, uh, in the first half an hour, there was quite a lot of whinging going on about how the company doesn't invest in them and how they've been waiting for this management training for a year and a half. And I, I said, so you've been waiting a year, you, you, what, you, you made a manager a year and a half, or two years ago. Yeah, okay. And uh, you've been waiting for the management training. Yeah. But that didn't come. So what have you been doing to teach yourself how to manage people? You read any books? No. Paid for your own course? What? No. Okay, so you've been basically sitting on your backside waiting for someone else to fund your development to help you do your job because you think it's their job to do that. How's that working out for you? Yeah. Uh, they didn't like it. So, again, there's a question there. Should I have done that before I'd built really strong rapport and trust with the people? Maybe not. You know, but I, I said, look, we're here now. Good. Yeah. But didn't you miss a trick? I, I think there's something about coming into an organization and being somewhat of a disruptor to the status quo. Like when you get when you get something like that, or when I get something like that, where there's a bit of pushback or frustration there, I see that as as gold dust in terms of what we're going to work on today. Yeah, and this is where we we talk about like as facilitators. Then you might have a complete learning, you know, a design for the workshop there, for that learning and development intervention. But then you get something like this. And you say, listen, how do I improvise? How do I work this? frustration in as part of the learning and sometimes it's pushback to say well actually <clears throat> what are you doing about it what are you doing to empower yourself and give yourself agency you yeah. know or you know is this a learning there would you say listen how about we take this and we bring it back then to hr and let's yeah. take the learnings from that there and then yeah. bring this conversation mm -hmm. somewhere else so but there is that diplomacy as well isn't there richard where you kind of have to go well, you one the of fire your, and flames yeah. emerge. Well, you, one of your previous guests, Marty Linsky, you know, yeah, uh, and, uh, who great podcast by the way. That one, I, I really enjoyed listening to it. But I remember on the Harvard course, he recounted a little story where, and I, I may be wrong, but he said you've got to be careful how you go in, you know, and challenge people. He said because you can get fired. Case in point. I got fired, he didn't mention the client, for saying something to the board of directors. Yeah. And he went, I didn't think it was that shocking. I just went, well, you'll, you know, whatever his line was, which yeah. was a challenge to them. And, you know, you're not working in this <laughs> building again. And it's like, now, I'm, I'm guess, guessing Marty you know, was disappointed on one hand, but, you know, it wasn't pivotal to be in putting bread on the table. Yeah. Which that gives you a freedom to be able to do that. Um, happily, I'm kind of at that position now. 
Yeah. But it doesn't mean I don't care. I mean, I I do care. You know, I got fired actually from one of my biggest clients last year. Okay. Um, You know, six months into a program that was going brilliantly, you know, around getting people's behaviours aligned to values in an organisation, which we know that's, you know, loads of organisations have values, but do people really embrace them, lean into them, live them daily? So we actually launch these new values. And um, I was really focusing on behaviour change and supporting that and giving some data. And, uh, COVID hit. And then they, they went, could you just run some one-hour sessions? Yeah, okay, so I can do that. Um, and then they sort of went, can you carry on doing that? And, and can, can we drop the behavior change methodology you use? Yeah. And can we, you know, do, uh, and then I, I went, no. Now let's just go back to what, what we wanted to do in the first place and that's working. And, um, and also I don't think the leadership team are really role modeling this. Yeah. I basically went, Richard, we don't think you're the right person to work with us anymore. Which hurt. That really hurt. It's like, but it's like, okay. So can I ask you, was it so so there's two pieces there, right? And I just wonder are they interconnected? Because if people are doing the, the behavior change piece, obviously they might be, you know, consciously or subconsciously holding the leadership team account because they're role modeling the behaviors and then the senior leadership team don't like what they see because now they have to look inwards right was there something like that or was it dropped because of time to say listen we don't have time to to do the behavior piece so let's just focus on what we see as a priority both Hmm. i mean there was people down in the system were holding a mirror up to some of the senior executives yeah. And going, we're actually holding you to a higher standard now. And that was uncomfortable. And then also, I think they used the excuse of COVID hitting to drop stuff, which, you know, again, what we were talking about before we started recording. Even today in 2021, and, and you can't say let let's just put COVID to one side. <laughs> what a yeah. crazy statement that is. But you know, if we go back to 2019, you know, modern times, you know, we're in the 21st century, we're 20 years into the 21st century. And people took, you know, learning and development, HR and organizations talk a great game. People are our biggest asset, and we really invest in people. And but they don't. <laughs> Not really. They they want transactional work. You know, it's like come in, run some workshops. Let's have a look at your content. What models have you got? You know, uh, and and. If I ask, okay, so 
how do you measure the effectiveness of whatever program you're running? A pop quiz, William, what do you think most companies do to measure the effectiveness of programs? Just like we were saying before, it's that feedback sheet, you know, at the end. Depressingly, it's the happy sheet. But okay, let, let's be optimistic. Yeah. What else do they do? Let's say they go beyond that. So it depends. Kirkpatrick level on. so we're at Kirkpatrick level one. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, listen, sorry, listeners, we're getting technical here, but uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of people listen to this are work nerds anyway, so it's it's right. It's okay. Good. So they do Kirkpatrick level one, which is immediate feedback. Yeah. Useful, but gives you no data at all on whether it's going to make an impact on business results or whatever. But they, they go, oh, well, we can do that and we'll do an online form or whatever it is. Then second level, they'll do some anecdotal feedback, maybe two, three, four weeks on. They might do a survey. Yeah. No? How are you feeling about that? They won't do any really empirical, have you retained any knowledge? And I have... Only once in 34 years experienced a company who has genuinely, I mean, I really genuinely put some effort into measuring ROI in its truest form. And how might they have done that, Richard, the ROI? Um, well, they did a lot of analysis. They did benchmarking before yeah. the program ran. Uh they isolated other factors. Uh, they tracked clear metrics. So if you're running a sales program, you kind of got some easier data. Yeah. If you're running leadership program and uh, or, or even down the, down the pipe sort of management, can you attribute an improvement in churn to the leadership or management program. Quite a lot of factors out of control, but it's, so, yeah. so they just go put it in the too hard basket. Um, uh, and people are, are reluctant, I, I find, when, when I'm going, how are we gonna measure this? How are we gonna have some sustainability? How are you gonna do this? when I'm not here, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's a little bit, I, I regularly use the metaphor of, you know, if you get, a, if you want to get fit and you go, oh, I can't do this all on my own. I need to hire a personal trainer. Great. You know, personal trainer, you've hired the, the right one, be a lot of help. You and I like that, you know, uh, you know, We'll have a look at the person. We'll have a look at the organization. We'll put a plan together. We'll demonstrate some work. We'll do some work. But it's like, okay, you want to get fit, you've got to do the exercise yourself. And you've got to do the exercise when I'm not there because if you're only going to exercise when I'm there, it's going to cost you a lot of money. And, and actually, that's not sustainable. Okay, so you need to use me once maybe twice a week in the gym, and then you've got to go another three or four times. And by the way, you've got to look at your diet 
and you've got to look at your sleep and you've got to look holistically. Yeah. Ah, it's all too much. If you then say, we want a change program in an organization or we want to develop, I mean, you name it, what, what, what type of projects are you, you know, have you worked on you know, over the last 12 months? Yeah, like someone is 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 like learning in uh, design uh, initiatives. It could be organization design where they're kind of changing things around. It could be facilitation with, with leadership programs. But yeah. for me, I think that the biggest value add is it's a bit what you're saying there about the personal trainer, is that you need to a per, you need to be a person as we are as facilitators and uh, experts is to be able to challenge people to say, listen, are you up for the challenge here? You know. Yes. There's a bit yes. of work now in, in, in this, you know, and this is where sometimes these initiatives fall apart. You're talking about ROI is like, if you don't take the holistic view, you know, what is the long-term result here? Well, then what's the point in doing a once-off or an hour? It's like these things that, you know, uh, you hear companies doing is one hour mindfulness is going to solve all your stress-related problems. Oh, uh, and then when I hear I about mean, this, I'm like, oh. Yeah, I mean, you look at the, 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 the stuff that, organizational development people, L&D, HR, and, you know, senior executives, they want agile working. Uh, they want growth mindset. They want resilience. They want creativity and innovation. Uh, they want everybody to be a leader. All, by the way, absolutely laudable. And then when you come to say, look, this is how I would go about it. And I have a particular, this is how I go about it. Doesn't mean I don't customize a lot, but actually, you know, if if someone says, look, we, we want to introduce a new set of values or we want to introduce an agile working, I go, okay, I know how to do this. Um, content is overvalued. Context is undervalued. So I said, yeah. I'm going, I'm going to give you far less content than you think you want. You want a real laundry list. Oh, let's have a look at your courses, your course agenda. You're missing the point. <laughs> you know, I, I can give you links. Uh, there's thousands of books we can, you know, there's, it's like, you do not need me for that. Yeah. Okay. You're also my whole raison d'etre is I want to do myself out of a job with you. Actually, I don't want to do myself out of a job because there's always plenty of stuff to do. But I go, I, I want to quite quickly migrate from me coming and doing stuff to you doing it for yourselves. Mm. It's sustainable. You've got to have people in the business owning this. <laughs> and you can't outsource it. Yeah. Any more than you can outsource your fitness. I, you want a six-pack? Good for you. Do some sit-ups or whatever it is. You know, I, I can't do those for you. You cannot outsource that for you. You go back to the Harvard course. People want a technical solution. External William Corliss facility. Come in, do it for us. When it's actually adaptive, do the work. And this goes back to then is... Does does the decision here in terms of holistic because they, these short term interventions we know it's a bit like um, uh, I heard somebody say it's a bit like McDonald's you know it's it's 
it's nice for now, but actually what's their value in the long run, you know? And uh, so again, in terms of, of that then, do you think it's, it, it's a bit like a management decision or a finance decision to say, listen, we're, we're, we're just giving you kind of piecemeal learning and development intervention. Yes. You know, yes. so, so it's, so a lot of. Not everybody, L&D. William, William, let's, let's not, uh, not everybody. There yeah. clearly are organizations out there, ones I've dealt with. Yeah. That are just like, we get this. What's yeah. the best way to do it? I'm, I'm working yeah. with a, a, an organization in Australia not not perfect by any means. Really, really trying to live their values and really, you know, it's the classic, all right, we trust you, Richard. But interestingly, they trusted me on first blush. I I presented um, that their origin is they're a book publisher. Um, But they've migrated beyond that. But I... My opening slide on my presentation was a, a book called The Leopard, which is some Italian author. I can't remember who it was. But the premise behind that book was if you want things to stay the same, you're going to have to change. Yeah. It's a paradox that is at the heart of a lot of initiatives that we do and I but I said look you've got here it's like Marshall Goldsmith's book you know what got you here won't get you there that um you've been really successful getting to here the next 20 years or whatever you're gonna have to do things differently in order to retain some of the good stuff that you've got um and this is the way to do it. It's less of me facilitating workshops. So some of that, I'll do it. More driven internally. You're going to have to spend more time than you you want to because I understand you're busy. Yeah. Uh, but you've got to have, you've got to, we'll start. We need a cohort of your internal leaders, not always the most senior people, that I want to be running regular conversations with their teams and people in the business where you are learning together and it's all around context. So they do not have to be super slick presenters. In fact, absolutely not, not trainers. They've got to be able to facilitate a conversation. Interestingly, one comment I've heard more than once is, oh, I'm not sure our managers will be able to do that. Quick as a flash, I go, would you like them to be able to? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I've done that intervention only recently, Richard, right, where I did a virtual facilitation workshop, and they have run out the whole program themselves, right? And what's Brilliant. really powerful then is, is that, that they have credibility within the business. They know exactly what the challenges are, the knowledge and all that, and they know the people there. So again, you're talking about context is everything, really. Like Absolutely. So undervalued. It's like you give people the, the, the tools and the skill set and then off you go. Um, off you go. I suppose this, there's a little bit of frustration there, isn't it, where, you know, um, is, is when you see sometimes like the, this micro learning going on and this attitude to say, listen, 
just give us an hour because we're, we're time poor. Whereas actually, is that a really good use of your money? Uh, I, I think actually as a consultant, let, let's just call us that as a catch-all term, one of the best things we can do for clients is to turn down work. Mm. To, to say, Ashley, don't do that. It's not the right way to do it. In fact, you better do it. You, I, I can help you, you know, pursue it, but you're much better doing that yourself. It's not yeah. the best use of your time and money. Um, I mean, that's, by the way, that's an interesting view of how do you deter, really determine an organization's culture about what's yeah. important. Look at where they spend their time and look at where they spend their money. Those two things will give you a really, really clear picture of what they think is important. Yeah. You know, and this brings us to the point in terms of your experience in terms of organization development then. Like, what do you think works then in terms of what are the, you know, your key learning? So over your whole, your career then working, what are the things that really work? Is it, is it that you meet the right decision maker? Is it that, <clears throat> you know, the company have already embraced this in terms of on the, the P&L that we have a budget aligned for this? Is it that we're open to increasing our budget? What What is it? Well, you've heard the story about the two shoe salesmen who go to Africa in whatever. I have, but early, it sounds good. The, the, early, the early 20th century. And one uh, sends a telegram back to base camp uh, and goes, no good. Market, non-existent, nobody wears shoes. And another one goes, brilliant opportunity. Market, right for the taking, nobody wears shoes. <laughs> you know, uh, so, you know, same situation as how, how you view it. The, the, the organisations who have already got a budget for it, you might think, well, that, that, that's fertile ground. Um, but they're often quite set in their ways and therefore can be quite difficult to shift because, and, and I don't know what the learning and development industry globally is, but it would be hundreds of billions, you know, if you really aggregate it up. Uh, and they feel it's, it's doing enough. I think they know in their heart it probably could be a lot better, but uh, the happy sheets are good, and uh, maybe productivity is okay, and, you know, it's, it's good enough. Um, that's not to say you can't pitch a different way of doing things, but I, I am absolutely... solid in my belief now after 34 years that most conventional training I'm not talking about compliance training or technical training mm. uh, you know I have a point of view on that but it's different I'm, I'm talking broadly speaking yeah. 
the type of work that you and I have been involved in, as well as organisational change, which inevitably requires some type of learning and development component to it, that I, uh, I think it's done wrong. And I am historically, I've been complicit completely yeah. of running yeah. transactional programs that I satisfied myself because the happy sheets all went an average, Richard scored an average of 9.2 across 15 people. Happy days. Uh, but I'm kidding myself because I had no real, no, no data, no intel on whether that had landed. Have you come across the forgetting curve? No, sounds very interesting. Right. So the forgetting curve was uh, developed by a German statistician called Ebbinghaus. Uh, and basically it was, we've got memories like and minds like sieves. Okay. And now this has been proved again and again, particularly with regard to learning and development, that the drop-off of retained knowledge within hours after the workshop, it's like, it's like quite depressing. So you've got, you know, and if it goes on for a week and then two weeks and three weeks, it's down to about 10% of retained knowledge. Never mind the skill of retained knowledge. So I bet you've had this. You'll get people come on workshops and you, you're going, oh, I'm going to talk you through this particular model because I still use models. They're, they're very useful. And people go, oh, yeah, I've, I've seen the Jihari window. Have you? Okay, good. Uh, will you draw it for the rest of the group and explain it? No, I don't know it that well. Well, go on, give it a go. No, I don't know. Okay, so you don't really know it. Now, I, I, I don't do that very often, William, because I, I look like a smart ass. I'm glad to hear. Yeah, okay, because it's a good way to get people offside. But I, it, it's, a, it's an illustrative point that people go, I've been through the, the sheep dip of a training course two years ago, and I have, yeah, I've got it. They, they don't. They've microwaved it. There's no, so Ebbinghaus basically went, the, the only way, and I've, I've looked at this, the only way you can bypass or, or, or change that, that, uh, forgetting curve is if you do a level of repetition. So actually, I'm, at, I'm quite into shorter workshops and shorter interventions, it, you know, not necessarily micro-learning, but maybe an hour, yeah, 90 minutes, and then get them to revisit that content, often in the company of their line manager or someone, the cohort, because then you can revisit some of the content again and deepen the context from what maybe I've done as a facilitator. And then you kind of rinse and repeat two or three times, coming at it from different angles. Wow. Suddenly, you've changed the forgetting curve to the remembering curve. So any uh, you pick any program you're doing in the workplace 
where you are trying to build skills, presentation skills. It's actually the same as learning a musical instrument or learning a language or learning a sport. Yeah. You've got to do it regularly. You've got to have some intervention in terms of formal learning and then practice it yourself, then revisit, you know. Um, and it's interesting, people, when, when you use analogies or metaphors like sport, music, language, people go, yeah, of course. Can we apply that in the workplace? No, we haven't got the budget. Yeah. No, you, you missed my point. You don't need the budget because you're not going to be paying me to do it. You've got to do it yourself. I'll write you little guides. You know, I, I, I can knock those off really easily. You know, I use a sort of book club uh, philosophy, but much shorter. I go, watch this YouTube video, read this two-page article, um, listen to this 10 minutes of podcast. You know, book club. I mean, I've never been a member of one, but the premise is everybody's read the book, and therefore yeah. when they get yeah. together over wine, yeah. everybody discusses the book, you know. Ulysses by James Joyce. Probably not, actually, but uh, a bit heavy. Yeah. But you get my I've, point. I've, so, many people have started at not finished it, but anyways. Me too, me too. But So if everybody's read or listened or watched the same thing, then they can come to a conversation with a shared point of view. Yeah. And then you can kind of... So I go, that doesn't cost you any money to do. It's just actually the time you need to do that. So let's go back to what you said you wanted to happen. You want a more creative, innovative workforce or more agile. You want, uh -huh. You're not going to do it in one workshop. I'm good. I'm not that good. Yeah. You know, so you ask me, what's the distillation of all, this, all these years? I have done it wrong with good intent for the majority of my training career. And it is about oh. that, that, it's that learning habit of that continuous professional development. And the key neighbor to that is facilitation. Really? Yeah, it is. Uh, uh, and it, it's, it's elusive that we find genuine learning cultures. I mean, I'm talking really across organizations and again, this is me drawing on adaptive leadership workshop uh, and program. But one of the biggest barriers to learning is seniority and experience. Sorry, that's two of the biggest barriers to learning a seniority and experience. It's like, because people think they know it all. Yeah. They won't actually say that because it sounds hubristic, you know, but you know they don't fully engage yeah. with learning themselves and, and taking their armor off and coming into some environment where they can be vulnerable and go i i, I don't know at all or unlearn yeah and i think that 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 piece is really important because that leadership i suppose both unhelpful trait of not being able to be vulnerable and not being able to unlearn is probably, there's a direct probably correlation with leaders like that and high rates of 
talent attrition where you have yeah. big retention problems because I see it all the time and you can see, you know, certain people that I would know within the organization and they just, they don't say anything, but they will raise their eyes up to the sky yeah. or to heaven and just kind of go, yeah. yeah, well, what can we do right now? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so what's the days, advice you give those people? Well, look, it, this sounds a bit like we were, you know, but you you do have to take people on the journey. You know, it's it's yeah, it's. Uh, I say to people, we're, we're not going to do the almost difficult work straight off. <laughs> We've got to build on this. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, it, uh, you know, I, I don't want you know you to feel this is so hard so early. Yeah. Um, you know, I took my son, this is skiing quite a few years ago. You know, I've been skiing for ages. I love it because I'm good at it, you know, and there's a beautiful cycle there. The better you are at something, the more you enjoy it, the more you enjoy it, the better you are. Anyway, first time skiing, this is in Australia. Snow was awful, slushy, wet. He's put on his boots. Anyway, he doesn't like it. He goes, this is awful. And I don't blame him. Yeah. <laughs> so you give up, you know. Um, and, yeah, I've got to try and convince him that it's worth having another dip <laughs> and pushing through it. He, yeah. And he has done that. He's done that, you know, with chess. You know, when every time you start everything, it's like, well, you're beating me. Or, or yeah. I'm going, now I've taken your queen again. Do you want to think through that move again? He he smashes me now. Yeah. You know, eight, eight out of ten games, he'll beat me. Uh, great. I mean, again, I'm back to that enjoying parenting. It's like, that's yeah. like, that's like good. I don't mind you yeah. beating me, you know. And I think that's there's an important piece there in terms of the relationship then you have with whoever is engaging in your services then. Because yes. for me, the most successful ones are the ones that I see as long-term relationship. I see myself an external learning and development partner. Yep. That whole piece of being a partner then is being able to say, listen, you know, I can I can take your money and, and, and you know, just do the once-off, you know, and charge you well. But for me, I think where I provide the most value is being able to have that say, listen, what's in the best interests for your organization and for your people and to push back to say, listen, you know, you do a once-off masterclass. I don't think there's any depth to that. No. You know, what will be retained, you know, what value is. And this is where I, you know, I'm, I'm pushing back and little those once-off interventions where sometimes I feel like then if you do over four or five hours or you do it regularly, like, split it into yeah. two half days or something like that yeah. and then if you spread it out because you allow people to think about it and retain it and then you're you're building on again that's where i think the value where myself and yourself give and then yeah. it's given in empower people enabling people with the skills and tool sets to say listen if you want to know more either listen to the podcast or read this book or you know get together you know in terms of learning circles or whatever Right. This is, okay. So things like learning circles are great. The the other component that I've put in, and this is um, 
there's, there's lots of different methodologies and approaches, but uh, and people like BJ Fogg, James Clear, Charles Duhag, all yeah. talking about habit building. Yeah, you know BJ Fogg, Tiny Habits, James Clear, Atomic Habits. Uh, you know, and the power um, habit by Charles Duhigg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, really good work. Um, and so, if we've looked at trying to bypass the forgetting curve with our design of how we deliver, which is less content, more context, more frequency driven by internal more than external. The other component is what do we do to support people changing their behavior? Um, because ultimately, I think everything I do comes down to you want what type of behaviors. Uh, yeah. You know, whether you... Sales course, management course, leadership course, you know, unconscious bias. You want people to behave or think differently and you need them to do it on a habitual basis. And yet most programs have almost no mechanism to support people to track people and hold them accountable and provide some data and provide some insights across a team or an organization. So the other component I put in, and some people do not like it, uh, is after every significant point that I'm working, what small commitment are you going to make yeah. In terms of the behavior change. Okay. Not don't do a big one. You know, BJ Fogg talks about tiny habit. You know, yeah. I'm gonna do one push-up. Okay, well, I can do that. You know, I'm gonna drink one, I want to drink more water. Okay. So and there's a there's a design to it, you know, there's a trigger, current behavior, new small step. Okay, so I get them to do that, I get them to plug it into a piece of tech, run it for 20 to 25 days we track it and i give the data to the the manager or the leader and go okay we can see william is all over this he's like he's checking in every day he's doing a bit of journaling he's reflecting on what he's done it's like great uh richard hasn't even checked in so he set up a commitment he's done nothing is Richard on holiday? No, he's around. Okay, probably worth a conversation because he said he would. That's a classic. So we've caught Richard out. All talk, no follow through. Now we know when we go to Richard, he's going to have one of two or three excuses. We know what they are. Oh, really busy. <laughs> Dog ate my homework. Okay, but after our learning event, which we've designed better, we now have a mechanism for saying, not gotcha, but come on. And when you unpack it, it'll either be Richard chose some commitment that he wasn't really committed to, but he was doing it as a compliance exercise for the facilitator. All right, okay, I get that. 
what do you want to work on? Yeah. What would help you improve? What's your manager saying you need to work on relative to this? Okay, so we get them to revisit it, change it. Will that, if you did that, if you built that habit, would it help you? Yes. Okay, off you go. And, and we run that almost iteratively like an agile program. You know, we, we get the data from month one to go, okay, that's giving us some clear indicators of what we need to do in month two. So that's my final component is if someone goes, can you plan out the year for us? No. Because, you know, I can give you a pretty good look of, of what we would do in our first two or three months. But even that, we're going to probably need to use the data from month one to shape yeah. month two. But kind of, but not the whole year. I would be in agreement uh, of that. Like you could have like a, a general overview, right? And a commitment in terms of people's diaries. But often what I see is, is, is that emergent piece or what comes up organically to say, actually, you know what? This is, you talked about context. This is a big challenge that we need to address now. So it might be, for example, how to have difficult conversations or, you know, with, with COVID, you know, is do we need to talk about how we're going to come back to the workplace or, you know, whatever. So for me, again, in, in, in terms of that, I think there has to be a, a certain level of being dynamic with your approach to figure out, okay, what's the information that's coming in? What's the data do we have? Is right. there a high attrition rate going on? What is that about? You know, and I think a, a lot about what you're talking about, those um, actionable kind of commitments then is, you know, yeah. that could be fed into your, performance reviews so some people mightn't mightn't have you know the 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 resources to do something tech-wise but a simple thing is just go to your manager include this as part of my performance review and then as part of my monthly or weekly check-in with my manager then they're holding me to account there so this is where you're enabling people and empowering people to do it for themselves you know? absolutely and, and you're, you're right. Some people actually, they go, look, I don't have the budget to do that. Actually, pretty low cost. But you just get a pattern, you know, notebook, and, and you, you, you could do it on a pen and paper. I know it's pretty old school, yeah. analog, but, I mean, journaling is, is now sort of taking off as a, um, as a, as a process in the corporate sector. Uh, people are being more mindful around what they're doing. And surprise, surprise, when you're paying attention to things, you generally improve. Uh, so if you pay attention to things and make an effort, you definitely improve if you do it over time. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah, yeah, sorry. I genuinely no. agree with the journaling piece. For me, it's about that reflection piece, what's going on. And, yes. and, then, and then it's about, oh, like I, what I, I, I tend to do is is um is I do a lot of sometimes mind mapping or sketch noting in terms of my journey. So sometimes I will write it out by hand, but sometimes for me to join the dots, I will do and notice patterns if I do uh, right. mind map. Right. And then I go, oh, that's so I'm kind of self-coaching myself, you know. Absolutely. The the thing, the only thing about people doing analog, um uh, is very difficult to have visibility about how a 
a, a group is doing. And if you're yeah. trying to get change across a whole organization or a, a cohort of leaders, there's no aggregation of data. And therefore, yeah. you can't pull insights. So, um, but there's lots of different technologies. Then, really, not that expensive um, when you think of the thousands that people spend on programs. I mean, and, and the interesting thing is they spend, you know, millions on redesigning systems and refitting offices and, do, you know, doing stuff and uh, branding and then short change on the behavioral and humanistic aspects of change. You know, it's almost like that, you know, ad, I think it was an Australian ad, a beer ad where they'd got a couple of good old Aussie boys loading up the, uh, the ute with beer and it was literally creaking and they went, we'd better get something for the Sheilas. And they put on one bottle of sherry and the thing collapses. And they go, I think we overdid it on the sherry. <laughs> but it is yeah. like, it's an afterthought. We've got all this change and we're going, all the, all the systems and processes and you know performance review system. And then they go, oh, and we'll do a bit of training. Yeah, it's an afterthought, isn't it? And, and yet, it should be the other way around. Mm. Or well, maybe not, but it should be should be a lot more. Yeah. And, and this is this is you know I sometimes describe as human design engineering. You know, yeah. what are the infrastructures or supports that you're going to give people? You know, to make sure they're a success, to really have that as an enablement factor there. And this goes back to you know your, your the book you know um, by James Clear you know Atomic Habits then is a big part of success, you know, in terms of changing habits, and this is what we're all trying to do, is do you have your infrastructure set up, your system set up to, to make, make you a success, you know? Yeah. And this is where you go back to that trigger then to say, listen, okay, do I set an alarm on my phone, you know, to do my journaling? Do I schedule it into my diary? And often when I'm working with people then, I, uh, you know, and especially senior leaders then, is you're trying to find that golden hour where you actually have nothing booked in and it's just pure reflection time or strategizing to say, listen. I mean, that's perfect. Time. You know, Bill, yeah. Bill Gates has got a lot of publicity, but he, you know, recently, uh, yeah. one of the things he's apparently he's done for like for years is he, he has a reflection week or 10 days. He literally goes and plonks himself in the middle of nowhere. I think he, probably owns a secluded, you know, pad, you probably. know, probably takes a load of books and just no one, no internet, nothing, just, you know, uh, and just reads and thinks and writes notes. I, I actually, with the reflection, I understand people are busy. I go do three minutes a day, you know, and the system will remind you, It'll come through on an SMS. Really seamless. You've got to make no friction to this because if there's friction, people don't do it. Uh, and you go, you know, click through, put two sentences of reflection, you know, against your commitment. Rate yourself on the commitment, five, eight, one, whatever it is. Uh, do some type of a note 
which reflects on what happened, why did it happen, what have you learned, what do you do differently. It's like Kolb's learning cycle. You know, again, yeah. if the listeners like into this stuff, the, the Kolb learning cycle is do something, stop and reflect what happened, yeah. extract the learning, what do I change, rinse and repeat. And it's funny, like this works. I do this with individual clients. I go, you know, if you want, I can hold you accountable. What would that look like for you? Yes. You know, and they would go, well, the hold me account maybe is if I give you a daily text or a weekly email or a reflection piece or what are my key learnings yeah. or whatever that was, everything you were saying there. And then people kind of go, the changes are amazing. And now I'm getting feedback from what they're saying. Oh, absolutely. What has, what has happened to you, you know? Uh, you know, and, and you know, it's not the work of William Gorris. It's the reflection work. It's the dedication to that commitment to that goal. It's your focus. And this is this is why I think it's really important is, is how do you scale that? Well, the only way you scale that is having some sort of infrastructure that's designed well to hold you accountable, to keep your focus on the Correct. Project. Correct. Uh, and, you know, we live in a data-rich society, data is useful. You know, I, yeah. I, I can give, you know, I'm doing a, uh, a program with a team of 10. It's actually quite manageable. You know, you, you asked about scale, but the team of 10, you know, uh, everybody's, uh, I've done a bit of delivery, which is me. Uh, I've held the space for them. They've got commitments. We're tracking it. We've done month one. We've got some really good data. They they leaned in brilliantly. A couple of people didn't. Interestingly, two of the senior managers in the team didn't lean in. So I gave them a bit of a, you know. But uh, and they were a little bit uncomfortable. Um, yeah. Uh, but again, I'm doing it from hopefully good intent. I said, look, I'm not doing this just to wind you up. I'm, I'm doing it because this is the work we've got to do. Are we, are we in? Yeah. Okay. The, the, you know, and one of, one, it's interesting, one of them is still not leaning in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I, I've got to get to the bottom of that, but I'm not, I've actually told her boss, I think you need to have that conversation with her. And because something's cool. going, something's going on that. But but you see, we've got the data there. It's like yeah. we can't jump to a conclusion. There may be a backstory we don't understand, but we've got some data that says you're not engaged on this, and yet you're telling us you are. Now you can do that at scale because you know, sure, you can give HR the, the data to slice and dice, but actually you democratize the data and so you give each functional head or even each team leader go, look, there's the data for your team. Yeah. Will this help you have conversations with people in your team to hold them accountable, keep the heat on them, you know, to, to use yeah. that expression, um, to make sure it's not just a sort of quick spike of activity and then we'll go back to what we used to do. It's like, yeah, you can bet. I This is, this is gold, you know. Um, yeah, and I think 
we're uh, to to segue now because we're we're going to wind up uh, now shortly. So I want to give some key takeaways for people. But it is funny, like you talk about some people who have that immunity to change is is often when we have you know open up those conversations and it's helpful to have those conversations. Is it goes back to context that we don't know something about them and maybe they don't feel quite safe or have that psychological safety or feel comfortable being vulnerable yep. to have the conversation with people or managers there, you know, and again, you know, in terms of leadership and management, the one thing that I think is, it, it could be improved is consistency, consistency mm-hmm. in the approach, you know, and again, in terms of that, then it this is where having a consistent partner, learning and development partner, to really say, listen, I'm going to dial up the heat now here because I think it's with best positive intentions then to say, listen, you know, where's your focus here? Where's the outcome? And a lot of people, you know, don't actually think about the outcome. They tend to focus on, well, here's the problem right now. Yeah. Because your intervention fixed that. For me, yeah. I go back to that desired state. Where do you want to be in three months' time or six months' time, a year's time? Absolutely. And just, and yeah, as consultants, that's, you know, we start with a conversation. All right, tell me where the business needs to get to. What are your business priorities? Then let's work back. Okay, so what are the behaviors, skills that you need people to have in order to yeah. get that? Then what are the learning interventions that are going to build those skills and behaviors? So we, there is an absolute linear path. So people give me a a brief, could you deliver that? I I go, not so fast. Let's, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry, you've got a question. Yeah, so I I, I definitely think there is that that piece that as consultants is that we're constantly asking people to reflect. You know, whether it's that reflecting or your students say, listen, is this the correct strategic decision? versus a quick intervention and i think you're what you're trying to do is you're there's always going to be that tension between the quick fix and the long-term piece and and that's where you know you go back to you know your personal trainer or you know uh, you have these health coaches you know that come in it's you don't go listen here's a menu and do that you need to figure out well why you stress eating in the first place well then you have to go back and figure out well what are your stressors you know, yeah. and I, and I don't think it's it, it it it. We need to start thinking a lot more holistically about organization yeah. development to figure out what are the drivers, what are the factors, and what are we doing to counter that um, as part of yeah. this. Are we setting the structures up? So so we're we're coming to the end of the podcast, and I'd like to invite you in. Then, so if people were to contact you, if you were to give some take, key takeaways, and I must say, following you on LinkedIn is brilliant. Because the reason I like it, Richard, is you are a truth sayer. You you're very direct um, there, and and you cut through a lot of the jargon as well. You make it very easy and accessible to people to get real understandings of what organization development is and what leadership is, if I must say. So I'm going to leave it to you to to finish out, if that's okay with you. Okay. What I think we all have to do as consultants, as professionals in learning and development, HR, and if you're an operational person, 
trying to develop capabilities, trying to grow the organization in a healthy way that it, it you know, does the triple bottle and bottom line accounting or the balanced scorecard or whatever, you know, but it's profitable, but it it's doing good by the world and all the, all this that we need to change the way we engage with the opportunity or the problem to understand that chucking training at it inevitably won't get you the outcome that you want. Um, and it is a behavioral change issue and to get people to change their behavior, you need to design different learning interventions, different leadership in you know infrastructure to support it. And you need to bear in mind that the twin things of the forgetting curve, and therefore you've got to have more frequency, which means unless you've got a huge budget, rather like bringing the personal trainer in all the time, you've got to do more of it yourself, which has so many other benefits because there's ownership internally, there's good role modeling, You're, the leaders are learning about themselves um, and it doesn't cost as much. And you've got to have a mechanism and a system to support the behavior change to track how it's going and to hold people accountable and to give them information. And I don't see many organizations really doing that. Mm. Um, and I'm kind of, my mission, you know, one, one piece of work at a time is to try and change that paradigm. Um, cause I think it's, I think it's important for the organizations that we, we have in the world. Yeah. Um, and it requires us all, it requires, you know, uh, as I said, I've been complicit in doing the wrong thing with good intentions for too long. And I've really only come to this in the last four or five years. Yeah. And I've always enjoyed that, uh, Richard, any of the conversations that we have is, that you've always been um, more than willing to share your insights and share your learnings and say, listen, here's are some of the mistakes I may have made. Yes. Make yeah. sure you avoid them, William Corliss. You know, so yeah. you know, thank you for that. And Pleasure. this is what the whole this is what the whole podcast is about is 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 changing the workplace, you know, one conversation at a time, you know, shining yeah. a light on a, on a different aspect to that. And and thank you so much for your time today. If people to contact you then, how might they do so, Richard? Yeah, just, I mean, there's only one Richard Wentworth Ping, to my knowledge, in the world. So that's really easy to find. So I'm on LinkedIn. You put in Richard Wentworth, pretty easy, and Ping, uh, P-I-N-G. Uh, with a hyphen or not, I'm not fussed. And, and you'll find me. Um, website, wentwithpeople.com. And actually, if you go onto the front page of the website, it goes, organizations don't change, people change. You know, individuals change. If we can get enough individuals to change, the organization change. 
you know, and I, I think that's at the heart of what we do, isn't it? That's it. And what a wonderful sentiment to leave the, the podcast on. So, Richard, thank you so much for your time today. Hey, pleasure, William. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with the podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner. Provider executive coaching, facilitation, and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team, and organization.